All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor and privilege to preach God's word. We are in the book of Luke, a big series, Jesus Reigns. That's the theme, is that Jesus was not born to be a king. He was actually born king. And so that has impact on us to this day and and through all of human history. And so we're looking at the events surrounding Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. And so we are our our technology is down today, so we don't have uh, our screens not working. So the verses will not be on the screen. But if you want to read the verses for your very own, you can uh, look at it in the Bible you brought. Your, your Bible app that you have, and or if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Also, if, if you just want to, uh, you forgot your Bible and uh, it's not on the screen and you just want to follow along, you can do so there. Uh, this is, uh, Lord willing, being rec- will be recorded. Uh, sometimes we have technology issues on all fronts. And so uh, if you hear these things, uh, you can watch the video or listen to it online and uh, pick up on some of these verse references if you don't uh, catch them in service. And so where we begin, I want us to, to unpack kind of how we got to where we're at here in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 39. We're looking at two characters. Elizabeth and Mary. Uh, but before we, we look at what happens in this scene, I want us to, to be reminded about why the author Luke wrote the book. He was a medical doctor, so he had evidence-based practice. That was his thing. It's like he needed to see evidence to figure out if something was true. And if it was true, then he would, he would go through the scientific method and process to, to define what is true in regards to his life and his, his work. But so now he's, he's writing history, and so he's taking the same type of approach uh, for this man named Theophilus. This guy, he's writing this book to a man, Theophilus. He writes the book of Luke, and he also writes the book of Acts to this guy. He's a, a, a guy who did not grow up in the church home. He was not, a, he was not, a, not Jewish. He was a Gentile man um, who likely uh, was either a new Christian, uh, a, a non-Christian, or someone struggling in their faith. So, P, uh, so uh, sorry, Luke is writing this book to this man to, so that he can understand and believe that, that the events surrounding the life and ministry of Jesus from his birth to his resurrection are true. And moreover, when he writes the book of Acts, that the beginning of the church was accurate and true. So he wants this man to know, we saw at the very beginning of Luke chapter 1, that he wants uh, us to know that the, the events are, are, are accurate and true, historically accurate information. This isn't just um, uh, information He's heard, but he's vetted. He, he's, he's interviewed the sources. He is saying, Theophilus, these are the things that are true. And as a medical doctor, things like the virgin birth seem to like register as like red flags of like, that can't be true. Like, you know, like, and so he's doing some hardcore investigation uh, to make sure that what he's going to bring forth to Theophilus is true. Therefore, if the medical doctor puts in the, the accounts of the virgin birth, the resurrection of Jesus, things that would take a, a miracle from God to cause to happen, uh, he's telling not as one who grew up in this tradition, who just heard these things, but one who likely did not believe, now believes and has done his evidence uh, to, to bring it forward to prove like, no, no, this is really what happened and I need you guys to know. So that's the setting here. And we've met Elizabeth before. Uh, she is, a, well, we're going to see her again today. She is six months pregnant here in, the, in, in our chapter. Uh, and she, so when we first met her, she was barren. She was an old woman. She couldn't have kids. Impossible to have a baby. Barren and past the years of, of childbearing years. And so she's been trying to have a kid, praying to have a kid, never had a kid, got old, still not having a child. The angel Gabriel showed up and said, hey, Elizabeth, God's going to bless you. He's going to give you a baby. And that baby is going to be the forerunner to Jesus. He's going to be the prophet that goes before Jesus. He's going be John, not the Baptist, because he had no Baptist affiliations at that point. He was just the baptizer. That's who he was. John the baptizer, that's who was in her womb. Well, then later, uh, five months later, then uh, shows up um, 
to Mary, the same, same angel, Gabriel, tells Mary, hey, though you're a virgin, God is gonna, you're going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and bear Jesus. That's who this child is going to be. He's going to be the Savior, the Messiah, Lord God and King. And he's going to save his people from their sins. And uh, also, by the way, your, your relative, your, your, uh, Elizabeth, she's pregnant too. I know it's crazy. You're going to get pregnant as a virgin, miracle, and, and Elizabeth barren, it's having a child, miracle. So all these, these things have just happened. So that's the context. Mary believed them. She was excited about them. And in her excitement, it says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. Uh, verse 40, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So this is her cousin, the one who's pregnant with uh, John the Baptist. Uh, and she is excited to share the news that, hey, Congratulations, you're pregnant. I'm also pregnant. Your your child's John. He's gonna be the forerunner to my son who's in my womb. His name's Jesus. It's really cool. They're gonna be cousins and they're gonna like I said last service, they're like the Bash brothers. Uh, if you ever watch D2 Mighty Ducks, if you're too, you know, then you don't get it. But like that's the, that's who they are. They're both gonna be in different penalty boxes, and that's just gonna happen for righteousness' sake. But that is Jesus and John. They're they're that's what I kind of see them as in this moment. And then when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in the womb. So John the Baptist leaped in the womb. We're going to find out later that he leaped with joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me explain a few things, and then we'll keep keep moving forward. Uh, What we have is this teenage girl, Mary, pregnant. And she's about to walk, and it's going to be uh, from, from where she's at in Nazareth to Judah. She's going to walk about 100 miles. A hundred, just, just got to understand this. Like, she's going to travel a hundred miles walking pregnant. Like, that's a far, that's a long way. Uh, that's a long way to walk no matter what, but especially in this rugged terrain. And so um, there's no smartphones. There's no, like, hey, I could FaceTime you, Liz, and just say, hey, what's up? Like, I, I got a baby, you got a baby. Like, no, this was, she had to, she wanted to see her family member and perhaps mentor. Uh, Elizabeth was much older than than, than Mary. Mary was a teenager, uh, um, and Elizabeth was past childbearing years. So, you know, pretty good generational gap. And so we see this intergenerational relationship between Mary and Elizabeth. And so Mary looks up to Elizabeth, was really excited to go see her, to share in the news of what God is doing. What I want us to see here is that Christianity isn't about um, uh, just stage of life relationships. Typically, uh, and unfortunately, many times this we, we our default is we'll have the the kids do the kids things when they're teenagers they do teenage things when they're college kids they do college things and the rest of their life they never interact in those spheres and and in 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 age gaps think about your job you never interact in that way for the rest of your life other than these few moments up until college and after that everyone is uh, all sorts of ages and intermingling in social in society just go to HEB you'll see people of all different ages and and backgrounds right and so but we do this and typically we in churches we have bible study for these group kids these mid, mid, uh, teens these young adults then, then the new marrieds, and then the you know the older marrieds, and then the the you know empty nesters. You kind of like have these stage of life relationships. People will come to church, and I see it all the time. So we don't have youth, and they'll come, and you're like, hey, uh, where's the youth group? Well, it's it it's growing. They're in their 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 early five year old years, and ten years from now they'll be teens. So we'll have teenagers at that point. Like the youth group is is being birthed from within. We don't have that yet. 
And so, but, but what we try to do here is, is really have intergenerational relationships. And so we, we really do believe that uh, Titus 2, that the older generation should invest in the younger generations. And when I say older, what we mean is just more mature in Christ. So that could be like the, the 25-year-old investing in the 19-year-old. It doesn't have to be like some uh, massive generational gap. Or it could be maybe the, the 35-year-old who's walked with Jesus for quite some time, and the 42-year-old comes to faith. And the 42-year-old's teaching the, the, you know, the 35-year-old about life and the kids and some other things. But then uh, the, the 35-year-old's been walking with Jesus for a little bit. Maybe he's teaching them about the Bible, about Jesus, about walking in godliness. And so this is intergenerational relationships we see at work. And I want you to see that God is an intergenerational God. He loves generational faithfulness. This is why we see in the Old Testament that we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's a gener- those are three generations. Uh, uh, Abraham, who was not a Christian, not a godly man, a pagan, full-on pagan, gets saved. Then he has a child of promise, Isaac. Then he has, that child has another child named Jacob. And then we have Joseph. And we have all of Israel. And a whole nation is produced from this one man. And so this, this generational legacy is built uh, from the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on. And so here we have the faith of Mary, we have the faith of Elizabeth, and we have those in their womb, John the Baptizer and Jesus, who will be the beginnings of of what will be a movement that carries on all the way to this day. Christianity, what we now know of this. And so uh, what I want you to see is this God loves the generations. He wants us to, to, he wants us to, and we love talking about legacy, lineage, future. And we talk about it all the time that we want to cultivate legacies that point to Jesus, not just the point to your career and what you grew up, well, what you think is cool. We want to point people to Jesus. We want our life, our legacies, our lineages to point to the person and work of Jesus because Jesus reigns and that's what we're celebrating. That's what we want to, to look at and that's what we're, that's what we, we're teaching. I'm going to talk more about that as our time goes on, but I want to see this happen with, with Mary. She goes out of her way to see Elizabeth, her relative, who she wants to, 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 to celebrate what God is doing in her life. So I want you to think about that next time you're like, I don't want to drive in traffic to go to community group. You know, like it's not a, it's not a hundred miles walking, you know, in the desert. Just saying, just saying like, like you got AC or heater. And if you don't like, it's not the desert. I'm just saying like, it's just, it's just, she went through great sacrifice in order to, to get to the person she admired. uh, She looked up to this relationship she had so they could celebrate what God is doing. I say this because there's a lot of joy and a lot of formation that can be happened in an individual's life in the context of relationships and community. And, 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 and I say community, what I mean is like formative friendships, like actually formative, not just uh, um, surface level, but, but formative. And so what we see is that she goes out of her way to do this. And another note I'll say on this, if you're younger and you see someone more mature in the faith than you and you want to learn from them, approach them. I hope that they would come to you and and maybe approach you. That'd be great. But if they don't, Mary's the younger one. She goes to Elizabeth. I just want you to see that. Sometimes uh, we, we see people who are older, more mature. They, oh, they don't have time for me. They don't have time to, and you really want to learn and grow from them. Be willing to go talk to them. Say, hey, can I learn from you? Can you disciple me? Can you mentor me? Can you invest in me? And if they say yes, listen to them. What I mean by this, I've seen this a lot, especially with young single ladies. Uh, they'll see a mom they, want, they look up to, and they're like, well, I loved hanging out with her, but like, you know, their kids were crazy, and you know, she couldn't give me enough attention, so I don't want to be in a group with her because her kids are crazy. Well, just want you to know, like, you need to submit in that moment and, and learn from her. Because she's probably teaching you, by the way, she's parenting her children, something that you could really learn and, and actually something tangible and tactile that you can actually see in real time. Her faith lived out. Christianity is not uh, supposed to be only around the coffee table. 
Just, so, just putting that out there. Like, it's not just coffee table Christianity. It's not just verses in, in Bible studies with Jesus over coffee. It looks like sometimes messiness, parenting. It looks like, it looks like hard work. It looks like effort. It looks like the crazy messiness of your life that you normally live. Like, that's what you're doing. Mary's coming into Elizabeth's life. Elizabeth is at home. She's pregnant, six months pregnant, older woman. That's where she's coming in. And so Mary is excited to see her. Now, when she shows up and she starts to just tell of what's going on in her life, uh, this baby in the womb, John the baptizer, jumps for joy. So what I want to do now is I want to lovingly, humbly, um, and hopefully clearly communicate and talk about something that's really important. It's the issue of life. So we talk about all sorts of issues when it comes to uh, uh, the scriptures and or what's happening in our, in our, in our world around us. We don't, we're not a political church, but we are a biblical church. And biblical, we believe that the Bible uh, needs to be brought to bear in our real lives or what's the point of what we're doing. Like if this has no effect on your real life, then, then we're, just, we're just talking to a fairy God. We believe in a real God. His name's Jesus, and he's alive, ruling, and reigning. And, and Luke is a medical doctor, so this is a, a moment of teaching I want us to see. Is it's Luke, the medical doctor, wants us to know something specific. He calls this, this, this baby, he calls John and the Baptist in the womb, he calls it a baby. He, call, he doesn't call it a clump of cells or a choice or, or uh, uh, whatever. He says that this baby leaped in the womb. I think it's important for us to see this. Because why? Because not only because this tells us how God views life, but it's also how this medical doctor who is not a Christian, who became a Christian, who wants us to know about the, the seriousness of Jesus, wants us to understand how to think through things uh, biblically, and, and then it helped us in our, in our real lives. And so what I'm going to do now, they're not going to be on the screen, because that's not working. If you can just hold with, bear with me for a moment, I'm going to explain to you how this guy, Luke, uses this term, baby, throughout his entire writings, all of his writings. So it's important for us to see. So, okay, you may say, well, he calls this child baby here, but maybe that's like they didn't have another term. And so how, did he, how does he use language? And I want us to see how does he use language, not how other authors use language, but how does he use language throughout both his writings in the book of Luke and in the book of, of, of Acts. In Luke 1, 20, 41, which we see, which is what we just read, Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb. In verse 44, it says that the baby uh, in my womb leaped for joy. So this unborn, preborn is called baby. That's what's being, that's what it's called. That's what Luke calls uh, John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth baby. Well, that same term is used later in Luke chapter 2, verse 12. He says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this isn't just the same English word baby. What I'm saying it's the same Greek word translated to baby. And so this is the same word used if talking about the, uh, uh, the pre-born John the Baptist, the unborn John the Baptist, and the, the out of the womb, Jesus, who's lying in cloth, laying in a manger. Verse 16 of chapter 2 in Luke, he says this, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus lying in the manger. Same word, in the womb, uh, unborn, preborn, out of the womb, uh, born. Weeks, months, days. That's how old Jesus is by the time that the wise men show up in Luke chapter 2, 16. Like, he's, 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 he's gotten a little bit older. This is a, a newborn baby. Uh, chap- Luke chapter 18, verse 15 and 16 says that, they brought even infants to him. Now, the English translates that to infant. It's the word infant. 
but it's the exact same Greek word as baby in all the other passages I just read. They brought Jesus infants or babies that he might touch them. And the disciples saw and they rebuked them. But Jesus called them saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for such belong the kingdom of God. See, same word, preborn, postborn, unborn, born, baby. Jesus' attitude towards these children is don't hinder them. They're part of the kingdom. They're part of the, the, the kingdom. And see, John the Baptist is also filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. He's set apart from the womb with a calling, with a plan, with, a, with, with dignity and value. Now that's in the, in the book of Luke. In, 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 chapter, in Acts chapter 17, Luke, same author, says he's referring back to the Egyptian Pharaoh who uh, ruled over God's people and, and forced them to kill their firstborn child um, or all the, all, the, all the young boys. And so he says, in verse seven, chapter 7, verse 19 of Acts, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose, talking about killing, their infants, which is the same term that we have already looked at as baby, um, and so that they would not be kept alive. And so that there was this mass genocide of killing of these children, these babies. And so he's, he's talking about the, the same term used throughout the womb to the tomb, that they are life. They, are, they have dignity, value, and worth. I need us to see that that's the issue. The issue is not uh, political pundits and, and arguing political facts. Who cares about that? I care about human beings, and the Bible cares about human beings. And what, he, what God is saying is that in the womb of Elizabeth is a human being she, who bears the image and likeness of God that, ha, that is deserving of dignity, value, and worth. And, and, and it, is, it is unable to uh, speak, but it's still a baby. It's unable to exercise any rights, though it has them. And it is a baby. It is a baby in the womb is a baby. And so baby is out of the womb. And this baby is known by God and actually has been given a name by God, John. God named him from the womb. Now, some will say, well, maybe the, the Greek language, you know, isn't so vast. We, we've developed. We're, that was a primitive time. We're a more advanced time. We're more involved. We're better. They're worse. And they, that argument tends to happen. But it's actually, if you know anything about language, the English language is far more limited than the Greek. And, and, and there actually is other words to describe children and child that he does not use. Very similar to the word, uh, in, well, love. We're in Greek. There are six to eight different words for love, four primary uh, words for love, but we only translate it with one English love. So if we're talking about romantic love, we translate it love. They have a different word for that. Paternal or like love between parents uh, towards their children is a different Greek word, but we still translate it love. Uh, 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 relationship between a friends, like, you know, that's my bro, I love him like a brother, like that type of love is, a, is another Greek word. And then uh, divine, unconditional, God-type love is, a, is another word in Greek. And so C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Four Loves on these things, but the point I'm making is that the, the Greek language actually has a, a lot of words to describe oftentimes what we in English translate with one word. Point here is, is not to be exhaustive, but it's to be pointed. I wanted to be point. I want to make a point here is that Luke has used this word on purpose, not accidentally. It's a baby. It's a baby. 
And so Luke, the medical doctor, wants us to see this. And, 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 and when issues, if you're new to the well, when issues of our day come up, we speak to them uh, with the Bible as, as we walk through verses, book by book through verses of the Bible. We've talked about race. We talk about justice. We'll talk about any issues. We don't care. We don't, we're not afraid of anything, but we'll submit everything to the Scriptures. But why do I make this point? Because what we see next is, is, is very interesting. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, we're told, and then she speaks. What does she say? The first thing out of her mouth is she speaks to the fact that children are a blessing. It's the first thing she says. She says it in verse 42. She says, she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, some will read this first and go, obviously, it's blessed. she's blessed because of Jesus is in the womb. Like, that's the blessing. Jesus. Anyone who bears Jesus, that's the good, that's, the, she got the good baby. All of us, you know, didn't. Like, she gets the better one. Well, it's true. Jesus is better than everybody. But uh, that is not only why she is saying this, because it, it's, 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 it's indicating that she is filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore speaking. She's speaking by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and she says, Mary, you are blessed. And she says, your baby is a blessing. And so she's like, this is a great honor as your relative, as your mentor, as your friend, as your family member to be in, this, in your presence. I love that we're, we're with each other. Like, I'm an old lady and I'm finally having a child. I'm super excited for you, Mary. Like, all of this is being communicated. She's very, very excited. But the note here that the author makes, uh, it says that she is filled with the Holy Spirit and then speaks. And then speaks. I want us to remind us on who wrote the book, who wrote the Bible, the Holy Spirit. See, we believe that God, uh, the Holy Spirit, is the one who inspired and wrote the book. Now, he wrote it through the hands of man, but we believe that the Spirit of God is who empowered the Word of God. It's why we call it the, the sword of the Spirit. It is an offensive weapon. It is, the, it is the Word of God written by God, the Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 127, if you remember this, what does Psalm 127 talk about? How, what does it say about children? It says children are a blessing and a reward. And he called in his quote from Psalm 127, they're the fruit of the womb. Literally, what Elizabeth is saying, empowered by the Holy Spirit, she is saying, blessed is the fruit of your womb. See, God the Holy Spirit already wrote and told us that children are a blessing even from the womb. He says they're a blessing and they're, they're, a, they're a reward. And Elizabeth is merely agreeing with God, empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, heralding this, speaking this, and saying, children are a blessing. I agree with God. I agree with him. I agree with him. And you have a child in your womb, and that's a blessing. And she's pumped. She's excited. And that's where we got to start. We got to start with, what does God say? And the question when it comes to faith is like, not what do you think, what do I think, but what does God think, and do, are we willing to submit to him, do we agree with God? Some, another way to say faith is, is, do you agree with him? Do you trust him? So it's okay to, to, to wrestle with faith, to wrestle with, man, I, I see what God's saying. I, I don't know if I agree, but I, I want to be honest with that. I want to wrestle there. See, we, we, it's okay to wrestle with God in an honest, sincere way. We talked about this last week, I believe, that we, it, it's okay to have like a, a, a faith-acquiring uh, questioning. So like, I have faith, I trust, but like, I don't understand. Seeking understanding, but I have faith. God can use that. God wants to use that. But, the, but we have to come back to what does God say and are we willing to agree with, with God? And she's, she's agreeing with him. That child is a blessing, not just because he's Jesus, but because children are a blessing. I'll say this, that if you primarily view children as a burden, 
you will raise them to be burdens. How do you do that? Well, you, you, you show them throughout your life, man, you're, you're kind of inconveniencing me. You're kind of inconveniencing me. And you show them this throughout your life, and then all of a sudden they feel just inconvenient. They just feel like a burden. And, I, and my wife and I watched the show The Voice from time to time, and we used and we watch it more, or we haven't watched it that much lately. But uh, I just grieved every time I would see someone show come up and they're telling their testimony, their story about, hey, my mom and dad laid down their career, their singing career to raise me. And they're, they're really are, and they're like, man, I really hope I succeed because I want to make them proud because they, they, they sacrifice so much for me. And I think that child really does have great gratitude. But what they're indicating is saying that my mom and dad didn't have a great life because of me. I'm a, I was a burden to them. Like I withheld them from accomplishing whatever they were going to do. I would much rather see the parents going, no, like I, it, I maybe sat, didn't get to do this career that I was planning on, but God had a different plan. Mary, Mary and, and Elizabeth have different plans for their life, but God showed up and said, hey, you're going to bear this child. You're going to raise him. His name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to save sinners from, the, from, from their sin. And it's not going to be your plan. Getting pregnant as a teenager, you're probably not planning to do this. Being pregnant before you're married, Mary, probably not planning that either. All these things was not a part of her plan. But it was part of God's plan. And so what I, what I want us to see here is that sometimes uh, our plan, God's plans are different than our plans. And when it comes to children, you have the opportunity to agree with God and say, no, they're a blessing, and therefore I'm going to raise them believing they are a blessing, telling them that they're a blessing, not just in word, but in deed, in thought, and in my emotional relationship with them so they see that, no, my parents really think I'm a blessing. They're a blessing. And if you don't view them as a blessing, it's likely they will begin to feel the effects of you seeing them as a burden. But I'll tell you this. If we see them as a blessing, by God's grace, you will raise them to be not just blessings, but burden lifters, to lift the burdens of others. Now, I'm saying this not, not unaware that raising children are, is difficult and hard and we're sinners and we make mistakes. I'm, I'm very aware of this. What I'm saying, though, is that a, a child at age, that, and we have young, many of you have young kids, one, two, three years old, uh, four years old, like the, these ages are really, really, really difficult. And the ages in which a lot of times you're like, man, I don't know what to do here. This seems more stressful than, than joyful. This is more burden than blessing because it's hard. And indeed, it is hard. But I want you to see that you must continually fight to, for faith to agree with God that this child is a blessing and I'm going to continue to invest my time and energy in to cultivate this child to be a blessing. To discipline them in the ways of the Lord so that they could build, they could create culture, they could be, lift burdens, they can uh, exercise God-given dominion in the spheres and social life to where the, actually the world changes, you're raising world changers. But it, in order to do that, it starts with viewing them as a blessing from the womb. See, the rest of Psalm 127 says that they are like, uh, children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. If you're watching those cool movies like 300 and you're like, all that you ever see like just the, 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 the sun eclipsed by the, the, the arrows flying and then, you know, you put up the, the shield. And I just need to know this, that God's children, God desires Christian parents to raise their children in the ways of the Lord so they'd be like arrows flying through the air and just eclipse the sky, which is generational faithfulness. And guess what? There ain't no shield that can stop the king's kids. See, we're told that the gates of hell cannot 
stop the kingdom of heaven. And so Elizabeth in her womb, is she's, she is raising John the baptizer, who's going to lead a revolution of repentance. He's going to be a wild man out in the woods, eating weird food, come back, preach repentance. And he's preparing an entire nation, an entire nation for the coming and arrival of Jesus. That's his job. And I, see, I want us to see this. My prayer for us is that we and our children would take the same post that John the Baptist has because we're preparing the way for Christ's second coming. He's coming back. And we believe that. And Jesus will return. And the question is, will he return and find his people faithful? Will he find his people trusting? Will he find his people obeying? Will he find his people working? Will, will he find his people with their hand to the plow or sitting on their hands, wasting their life? See, we want to raise a generation of world changers. And we have to do so by faith, by the power of, of God. It's not something that we can just muster up and do on our own. But the question begins with how we do that is first, how do you view your children? You see your children as a blessing. The next thing that the Holy Spirit speaks through Elizabeth while she's talking is she proclaims that Jesus is her Lord, which is crazy. This is awesome. Verse 43, it says, And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? So she's excited that Mary has showed up to her house. John the Baptist is jumping for joy. Elizabeth is pretty pumped. She's honored that Mary is there. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, she says she calls Jesus her Lord. Not just a Lord, not just a king, not just a master, but she's like, that's my Lord. And he's in the womb. This is amazing. This past year, the majority of 2023, we studied the book of 1 Corinthians as a church. And in chapter 12, verse 3, we're told that no one can trust or say that, the, that Jesus is Lord except by what? The power of the Holy Spirit, we're told explicitly. See, what this is is not merely a, a, a formulation of words in one's mouth saying Jesus is Lord. But it's the reality that no one can, no one can believe and trust Jesus is Lord except for by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit flies in tandem with God's word. And when, when we deviate from God's word, we deviate from the Spirit's power. And so what we need is, is not just a, a proclamation that Jesus is Lord with our mouth, but what I want us to see is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is giving utterance to Elizabeth to trust that Jesus is her Lord, her Lord, not just a Lord, her Lord. And what the Holy Spirit does is, uh, uh, in addition to flying in tandem with the Word of God, blessing the preaching and the ministry and the reading of God's Word, writing the books of the Bible, the Holy Spirit also, we're told, saves sinners. We're told this way that the Scripture teaches that He opens the eyes of the blind hearts so that we'd see and believe in Jesus and the gospel and the glory of God. Like, so that we would see it, savor it, believe it, hold to it, cling to it. So the Holy Spirit is the one who opens the eyes so that we believe. See, it's not just enough to be spiritual. Like we live in a world where everyone wants to be spiritual. And, 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 I, want, and I want you to see that there's a difference between being spiritual and being a Christian. Uh, according to God's word, spiritual is just is, is lucid. Christian is submitted. Submitted to Jesus as Lord. That's what it literally means. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just Christ-like, but I, I, I'm submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9, we're told that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and again, that's not just an utterance out of our mouth, but that is a, a, a belief in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. 
the statement that Jesus is Lord is not just merely a statement, but it's an allegiance of the heart. It's a surrendering to the person and work in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that, that takes the person and power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, Elizabeth is not just espousing information, but she's declaring her allegiance to Jesus, submission to Jesus, obedience to Jesus from the womb. See, in this time, they would have said, Caesar is Lord. That would be the common phrase, that Caesar is Lord. She is saying, not my Lord. My Lord is in the womb. My true, see, my true Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what she is saying. And this is really, this is amazing that, that from the womb she's submitting to Jesus. That's because Jesus, we've been talking about, has been, was not born to be a king. He was born king. So why Herod later will want to kill him once they find out he was born. Because even the baby had power and, and demanded submission. And so I need us to see that it, it's okay, it, if one is just merely spiritual, that you, you may be no different than Satan and demons. They're spiritual. And they actually may have more faith than you because they actually believe in all of those things. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the personal work of Jesus. They believe in the, the supremacy of Christ. They believe in the lordship of Christ. They just don't submit to him as Lord. So it's one thing to intellectually to ascend to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's another thing to say, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my marriage. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to give you my kids. I'm going to give you my money. I'm going to give you my everything. And I want to, uh, I, I, I play to the allegiance of one, one God, one king, one savior. That's you, Jesus. And I'm submitted to you. You are the Lord of my heart and my life. I trust you. I want to obey you. I want to fight to believe that, that, that what you say is good for me. Even though I struggle to believe it because of lies, because of temptation, because of my past experience, because of the world we live in. But what makes this point is so staggering is that Elizabeth declares her allegiance to Jesus as Lord from the womb. Jesus being in the womb. And so any true biblical Christian salvation demands that we submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Next, we see that, 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 that the Holy Spirit speaking through Elizabeth proclaims the good news of Christmas and that it should bring joy. And that's what we see in verse 44. It says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, my baby, the baby in my womb, leaped for joy. John the Baptist is pumped in the womb. He is pumped to see Jesus. Now, some would go, maybe wasn't that just the baby kicking? Sounds like I mean, that's possible. Yeah, so when Luke was doing his investigation, he was like, so you're telling me that, like, that was different than a normal kick. She's like, yes, like, I was filled with the Holy Spirit as a whole different thing. I actually proclaimed some, some truths, and, and, and he leaped with joy. That's what was going on. And John's like, you know, that's what happened when John was in the womb. And so what, what he's, what's happening is John the Baptist is hearing the voice of Mary who's, who, who has Jesus in her womb. And like they're throwing a party. They're both just pumped. And I just want, this is what Christmas is. Christmas is the news of the birth of Christ. And now we celebrate it because Christ has come. He has been born. He has lived a life in our place for our sins. He has died a death that we deserved, but he did it on our behalf to save us, to redeem us, to buy us back into his family. He paid for us to be in his family. 
with his life. That's the person and work of Jesus. He's resurrected from the dead, and, he, and, and, and through faith in him, we're now called the king's kids, sons and daughters of God. That is Christianity. And so what we're celebrating is that, that Jesus really came in real time, in real history, that Jesus was born. John the Baptist, just hearing the news that Jesus is going to be born, leaps for joy. This is where songs like Joy to the World come to play. Like, this is what I love about Christmas. Christmas hymns are some of the best written Christian music that exists. Theologically accurate, awesome music. If you'll bear with me, I'm not going to sing, but I'm going to just read some. You wouldn't want me to do that. Uh, uh, some some of the, the lyrics to Joy to the World. It literally said, Joy to the World, what the Lord has come. Not, He might come, think He came. We're speculating. It's a declaration. The song declares that Jesus is one Lord and that he has come. And it says that what should, how should the earth respond? The earth should receive her what? King. And we're supposed to, in our heart, prepare room. We're told that he, through the song, that, that he rules the world with truth and grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor truth. We see that he is truth. His word is true. It says that he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Like this song, this hymn is a declaration of the supremacy and lordship of Jesus Christ, the King. That's what it is. So when we sing it this holiday, this Christmas season, make sure you, you sing it like you mean it. Don't just sing it metaphorically. Like, oh, Jesus is king. He's come. Like, sing it like the song it really is. Like, it is a declaration of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has, the Lord has come. See, the birth of Jesus is, is an uprising. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a toppling and overthrowing of any sort of, uh, any sort of leadership or authority that would bind and keep God's people captive. It's an insurrection of sorts, this news that Jesus, the, the king, has been born. It's saying to sin, Satan, death, the grave, shame that, over, that, that shadows over you, that it has, no, it has no power over you anymore in the name of Jesus, that your sin has no more grip on you. In the, in it, because you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, he removes your guilt, removes your shame. You have a new king it's dethroning all other kings in your heart and in your life. Jesus has come to set you free from sin, from death, from shame. And that he would be the Lord of both heaven and earth. That his kingdom come and his will would be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. And this is what we sing. This is what we proclaim. This is the great news of Christmas. And how did John the Baptist respond? He leaped for joy. Like Christmas should be fun. It should be exhilarating. It should be exciting for the Christian. Like Christmas is a celebration that should send a shockwave down the spine of Christians resulting in exuberant joy. Joy. Your Savior has come. And so we are called to have not just, a, we're called to have a, a childlike faith. Not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. And what is this childlike faith? What is one th way it looks like? It looks like John the Baptist, a child in the womb, leaping for joy. He's pumped. He's having a party. He just merely heard the voice of Mary telling that, hey, I'm pregnant with the Messiah. And he's like, I'm throwing a Christmas party in the womb. And so 
Christians should celebrate Christmas with joy. And so many Christians will become very Pharisaical and Scrooge-like around Christmas. Zero fun. They don't really like it. It's a hallmark holiday and too much consumerism. I get it. I get it. There is that. But what I want us to do is, is think this way. We're celebrating the birth of our king. Like, have you ever celebrated your birthday? You got a birthday present? Had a lot of fun? Maybe have a party? Ever done that? Maybe you attended one. Maybe you've heard about someone having one. I don't know. Just, just putting it out there. Y'all can pray about that. Like, have you ever done that? No, that's okay. But we're talking about the birth of our king, the most important person in all of human history. You're like, well, he wasn't born on December. Like, who cares? Pick another day. What day? Like, the world celebrates on this day. Like, we put it on the calendar. You got off from work. Like, it's a day to celebrate. That's why we talk at our house. Like, we have birthday weeks when someone's birthday is like, oh, we end up celebrating it all week long. You ever, you, if you like birthdays, that's you. You know, like we celebrate the birthday all week long. We do Jesus' birthday month. December is a whole month celebrated to remembering and commemorating Jesus' birth. And so here, the, the issue isn't too much. I want you to think about this. It, the issue isn't too, the, of Christmas and, and people celebrating it too much. The re, that's really not the issue. The, really, the issue is not going overboard. Christians should, in some ways, go overboard. But they should direct that, that overboard to the worship of Jesus. Like, that's the issue, is who do you worship? If Christmas is all about consumerism, you, selfishness, and, and anything but Jesus, yeah, we, we reject that. But we should go all out for celebrating the person and work, the birth of King Jesus. It's awesome. We should enjoy him and enjoy his blessings that he's given us. Like, see, if someone gives you a gift and you don't use it, you would get pretty upset, correct? Right? And, and I tell our, we tell our kids this, that God has given us five senses to worship him with. So I want us to think about this Christmas, worshiping Jesus with our five senses. Think about the, the, the things you see. Like, we talk, our kids are like, what do you, you want to see? We like to see lights. Like, you know that you can go look at Christmas lights, which are pretty awesome and extravagant and overboard and over the top and high electric bills. Like, you see those things. You can worship Jesus by admiring the awesomeness of Christmas lights. Why? Because God gave you eyes. What did he give you eyes to do? Only read books? No. He gave you eyes to stare and look at the wonders of his, his love, as, the, as we just talked about in the, in the hymn, to, to look out at the sky and see the stars that he created, the mountains that he has made, the earth, and just be in awe. Like He created your eyes to see other people interact with real things with our sight. It's an awesome thing. So go enjoy. One of the ways you can actually worship Jesus is by using your eyes like he created them to, to be, to enjoy seeing things. Sounds. What sounds of, of joy, sounds of gladness, sound, what sounds? How can you worship Jesus through, the, through, through what you're hearing, what you're experiencing? Smells are my favorite. Like, I love smells. And, and like, you walk in and the house is like fresh baked goods. Like, that's, like, that's worship. Walk in and go, fresh, like, cake. I don't know, whatever, cookies. Anything that's sugar in it. You're like, yes, that smells great. We're even told that uh, the, the prayers of the saints in Revelation is a, is a nice smelling aroma to God. Like heaven smells really good when God's people pray. It's kind of like you walk into the, a bakery and you, like, you smell a bunch of baked goods for Christmas. Like that is, what, what, are, what is our nose for? Not to just give us warnings about what's good and what's bad, what's toxic. What's, it's to enjoy things. 
Like a Christian who doesn't enjoy the sights, sounds, smells at Christmas are missing out. Worship Jesus with those. And then taste. Man, awesome. So much good food. Just enjoy it. I'm not saying be a glutton, but I'm saying if there ever is a month to like eat, this is it. Celebrating his birth. Eat good food. And here's the deal. Some of us, I, I totally understand budgets. I told, what I'm not saying is out, out punch your weight class. I'm, what I'm saying is, 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 is don't take out, go to, into credit card debt for this. What I'm saying is, uh, as you have means, be very purposeful in worshiping Jesus this Christmas in celebration. You can't have good food every night. Like one night, make a big deal about it. Have some really good food. Have some good taste. Celebrating. Like that is actually worship. To, to not use, the, for example, your five senses to worship Jesus, to create moments, mir- memories, to worship him, is, to, is to, to have them given to you as a gift and not know why God gave those senses to you. Do you use them to, you can, do you use them to worship him? Touch, last one. We're about to, at the very end, we're going to take communion. You're going to literally have the bread in your hand. You're going to feel it. It's a tactile thing. You're going to eat it. You're going to taste it. You're going to drink it, whether you're drinking juice or wine. You're going to smell. You're going to see it. Like all of the, Pretty much all of your senses are going to be at work in the enjoyment of communion or the Lord's Supper. Why? Because God created us as a whole being to worship him with our whole bodies, our whole mind, our whole spirit, our whole strength. So my encouragement to us is that Jesus has given you just the, the privilege and opportunity to celebrate and enjoy the good gifts that he's given you in your life, your breath, your, your, your food, your, your taste, your smell. Enjoy it this Christmas unto the worship of him. Not to the worship of you or your in-laws, but into the worship of Jesus. Take serious that this Christmas. Lastly, she says this. Holy Spirit speaking through Elizabeth says that faith is a blessing. Verse 45, it says, And blessed is she, she's talking about Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was said or what was spoken to her from the Lord. So last week, Gabriel shows up to Mary, tells her she's gonna be the mother of Jesus, and Mary had simple yet sincere faith. She trusted, she believed. I agree with you. I agree with the Lord. Whatever your will be done, Lord, that's what she said, I want to do. And so what Elizabeth is saying is that that faith is a blessing. See, Mary didn't have it all together. She didn't know what life was going to be like with Jesus. It was definitely going to be hard. I mean, they had to like give birth in a horse trough. Like it wasn't like easy by any means, but she had simple, sincere faith. See, Lamentations 3 tells us that, that God's mercies are new every morning. What faith does is it trusts God for today. Today, not tomorrow. Trust him today for the mercy he has for you today. It's sufficient for today. Then tomorrow, trust him for the mercy he's going to give you tomorrow. Like you can't save up mercy and like, I'm going to use it for tomorrow. Like he's giving you new mercy every single day. Use it all. Enjoy it all today. Enjoy it all tomorrow. Use it all. And year after year after year of trusting God uh, in, in the hard times, in the hard season, you have young kids. It's really miserable, really hard. They don't really feel like a blessing. But I'm going to keep believing that they are a blessing. Keep cultivating. Keep training them. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Like it's a difficult, hard season. Five, six, ten years from now, you're like looking back and going, man, I'm glad I endured. 
like anything worthwhile in life. Think about anything that you've endured for a season that was really difficult, that produced uh, worthwhile fruit on the end, was, was worth it. See, faith is that. It's, it gives, it gives you, it's simple yet sincere faith gives her the power to endure whatever God places before her. And she just needs to have enough faith to trust God for today. And then enough faith tomorrow to trust God for tomorrow. Like she didn't have it all together, Mary didn't. She didn't have a plan. Like she didn't have a budget. Like she didn't. Like she just got told that she's having Jesus. She runs over to, uh, to Mary, she's really, or, her, or Elizabeth, she's really excited. And Elizabeth's saying, hey, blessed are you because of your faith. And one of the greatest blessings one could have is to simply trust God. And see, that's what faith is. Faith is trusting God. It's not wishful thinking. It is trusting and being certain that God is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he said he would do. And I trust him. See, we need to trust God's ability to lead more than our ability to hear, discern, or obey. Trust his ability to lead. So what Mary does is she trusts. She trusts God. She believes. She has faith. She trusts what God has said about her. She trusts what God has said to her. And she trusts what God has asked for her to do, be the mother of Jesus. Let me ask you, do you trust God? Do you trust him? Or where do you not trust him? Are you, are you aware of the areas of your heart where you just struggle to trust him? Will you wrestle with him to trust him in those areas this Christmas? Do you believe what God has said about you in Christ Jesus? If you know, love, and trust Jesus, do you believe when he says you're a son or you're a daughter of God that that's true, that's accurate, it's real, it's tangible, it's, it's, it's accurate? When he says you're forgiven, do you forgive yourself? When he says you're clean and cleansed and, and he's cast your sin as far as the east is to the west, do you go, I agree, I, I have to grab hold of that? I'm forgiven? When he says chosen, beloved, predestined, saint, well-pleased, when he says that about you, do you receive that with faith and go, man, I don't feel that way, but I know I am because of you? Do you believe that God, what God has said uh, uh, to you to do from his word? See, the, what God the Holy Spirit has done is he's spoken to Elizabeth and he said, hey, children are a blessing that Jesus is Lord. And her response was, the, and, the, and, and the response was, I agree with you, God. I agree with you. And, and may our response be, when we, when we hear what God has said about us through the person and work of Jesus, and we hear about what God has asked us to do through his word, and we read his word and we hear what he says about uh, uh, life, and we, when we see what he says about the, the day in which we live and how this applies to our context, when we see it, may we be like John the baptizer in, in, in Elizabeth and say, hey, we have faith, we agree with you. Be like Mary, we trust. But may we respond like John the baptizer and leap for joy. Leap for joy at the news of Jesus. Leap for joy at the, at the bearing of God's word. Leap for joy at the sounds of, of, of triumph in the gospel of Jesus. Leap for, leap for joy knowing that Jesus is our king and he has set us free from the bondage of sin, Satan, death, and the grave. Leap for joy, celebrating. And may we be found, may it be found in us that we would have, like Mary, faith and see that this faith is a blessing. May we be blessed like Mary to live our life by faith. That's the, that's the call from God to us this Christmas to live life by faith, trusting in the person and work of our Savior and King, Jesus. 
hearing what he says, submitting to his word, but then living a life that's actually congruent with the words that we believe and claim. Christmas is a celebration. Will you celebrate with joy? Will you celebrate with gladness? Will you celebrate with cookies? Will you celebrate with lights? Will you celebrate with feasting? Will you celebrate with laughter? Will you celebrate with family? Will you celebrate with friends? Will you celebrate with joy? Will you celebrate with gladness? Will you celebrate because the greatest news in all of human history is that our true Savior and King, Lord Jesus, has come. He was born. And he has set you free. And no other authority in, in, in the seen or unseen realm has authority over you to declare to you that you're anything but what God has already said you are. Son, daughter of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for loving us, for rescuing us, for being born, to being born in a humble state, for... Um, living a life in our place, dying a death that we deserve, for pursuing us, for chasing after us, for saving us, for cleansing us, for, for, for resurrecting from the dead, for giving us faith. Lord, may we just respond with joy and gladness and leap for joy, shout for joy, be full of joy. May we create moments and make memories this Christmas of, to the praise and worship of your name, King Jesus. Amen.